Would you take a moment to find your seat? Just take some time to just, just reflect on what God has done for you. I mean, what? Honestly, what was that? That was the worst worship set I have ever seen. Is no one paying attention? I can't hear anything in my monitors. Tiffany needs to be, first of all, way down. Is she sick or something? Her voice is just, it's a problem. Listen, here's what I need. More of myself and less of everyone else in my monitors. Thank you. I mean, did you tell me how I'm supposed to hear the Holy Spirit when I got Kyle yelling in my ear all morning about what y'all are doing wrong? Who is running the lyrics? Like the, a youth intern? I mean, it's bridge, bridge, chorus, not bridge, chorus, bridge. I just feel so incredibly humbled to lead worship in front of this large of a crowd. Also, did anyone take any photos of any of that? I just want to upload them to my Instagram. Look at me, bro. If you can't nail that baseline, we're going to send you back to the satellite campus. I just need more energy out of everyone across the board. Can we get some real musicians around here. I mean, it's not about me. I mean, it is about me. The pastor is like, where are you? And I'm like, I'm writing songs for my own solo EP. Honestly, I could use some more beard oil in these photos. I need those guys to bring the house lights down. Honestly, our third vocalist, her mic isn't even on. She's just up there for diversity. We are vessels here. It's not about us. I just bought this $400 leather jacket. I'd like for it to show up on the live stream. Just let the spirit move through you. Can somebody get me some throat coat? My throat is killing me. I need to be on vocal rest. I don't know. I just feel like I'm carrying the vocal weight of the entire worship team. I mean, everyone loves like the Bethel vibe and I get that. Everyone wants to be spontaneous, but like, have you heard my musicians? Like, you don't want these people being spontaneous. The crowd was better for the first service like elevation worship have you seen my worship bands more like descending worship has anyone seen my scarf i need more of me Chris, chris uh, service in five minutes we need you in here makeup all right you guys pray about it so does that look familiar to you at all i hope not <laughs> uh sometimes like worship bands i don't know if you've been to churches or events or things like that before where it seems like the people on stage are more into themselves than into actually the people that they're leading or into God that they're worshiping. Uh, how many people know who John Christ is before that video came up? The person that was on there, a few of us. So John Christ is a comedian that makes fun of Christians as a Christian because we deserve it. Like, because we act, like, not just worship teams, us, we like come into worship and say, I don't know, I wasn't really into that worship service. Like, I didn't get anything out of that. So just like the same selfish stuff that can come from here, and can come from here, that can come from us out in our lives. John Chris basically goes through and pokes fun at that so we can actually realize, hey, this check your heart is kind of where he is, his kind of thing, that mantra that he always says. Because a lot of times, we, go, we come into service and we're selfish as whatever position that we're in. And we kind of live our lives like that in general. I don't know if you guys have seen a few of his videos, some of my few of my favorite. We're not gonna watch the videos, but I kind of just wanna talk about a few of them. There's one called Family on the Way to Church. So the family on the way to church, how many people were a family on the way to church this morning? And you have kids in the back seat you have a wife and a husband or whoever, whatever your uh, situation is, and it, it's not very godly what's going on inside your car at the particular time as you're coming to church. You're yelling and screaming at each other. In this particular one, please go watch it uh, after the service. Don't look at your phone right now. 
but uh, they're yelling and screaming at each other and their selfishness is coming out toward one another. And the kids, okay, I want my snacks and I, I want this. And they're trying to figure out what worship music they need to play. Is it need to be Veggie Tales or can we listen to secular music? There's this argument coming into the church service. So John Christ in this particular uh, area is, is pointing out the selfishness of us even coming to church to worship God. The second video that I kind of want to talk about is Millennial International, which is sponsor a millennial today. Uh, if you guys familiar with World Vision, where you have that sponsorship kid where you put on your refrigerator and stuff and you sponsor per month? Well, this is sponsoring a millennial. The millennials require, and I don't think I said this in the first service, but I think they require like $1,350 a month. It's not like this $10, $15, you kind of sponsored the millennial. Uh, but the millennial, because they have to get the expensive coffee and they got to get the good clothes and boots and hats and things like that, you kind of see the selfishness. I'll just go ahead and say it now. It's not just millennials that you can bust for this. John Chris is just poking fun at this specific group of people taking selfies, interested in what they look like to other people on the outside. We do that. If we don't do it on social media, we're doing that anyway uh, in our lives. The third video I kind of want to talk about is millennial marriage proposal. So... I don't know if you've had your friends on social media, uh, you see the moment on Instagram or you see the moment on Facebook and stuff like, guess what? That was not the original moment, most likely, right? You had like, oh, I, would you marry me? Yes, I will totally marry you, but we gotta repose this thing. We gotta get the good background and stuff. Gotta make sure this picture turns out right so we can project ourselves to other people. Uh, so the selfishness is even coming out in a moment like this, where we're actually, I, I, a wonderful moment where you're uh, proposing uh, to your wife-to-be, but the wife and him are arguing and stuff like that, and then selfishness comes out in that moment. And then finally, there's a brand new video out uh, called Check Your Heart, which is actually a music video, the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. I probably cut this out about two weeks ago, or did the snapshot, so it's probably up over... Uh, almost a million views by now. But it's just, it, it, the whole song is poking fun at this same selfishness that Christians actually have inside their heart. And that's why the motto, check your heart. So I went to his uh, comedy show, I don't know, six, nine months ago or something like that. And I bought uh, a bottle opener and I bought a koozie that says, check your heart. And the, the joke is, like sometimes depends on what church you're in and what kind of background and stuff is like that. You go like, I'm either going to hide my refreshing adult beverage inside this and stuff like that. Or like you see it and it's not like I need to be wary that God is around everywhere and stuff like that and he's going to convict me. Yes, that's it. But it's more like, let's check your heart about what you're using things for. So I thought it's a good conversation starter, even for myself to think like, why am I doing this specific activity anyway so I can have the ability to check my heart? So we're, the Philippians are the exact same type of people as us. Yes, they didn't have social media. Yes, they didn't have some of these things we're talking about. We didn't have millennials to make fun of. But they were the same type of people that struggled back and forth with being selfish or having selfish ambition or uh, looking out for the welfare of others. They're giving, they're doing stuff like that, but they're also falling back into their old ways uh, before they were Christians. And we know as ourselves, we act like that. Even if we are Christians, filled with the Holy Spirit, reminded every week, go to Bible study, pray, we're still selfish people. And that comes out considerably as we go throughout our week. Philippians, kind of going back just to have a review before we enter the passages we're talking about today. Philippians 1, 12 through 26 describes Paul as being in prison, 
being selfless, and wanting to spread the gospel while he's in prison. I would not, that's not the first thing I would think of if I was in prison, is I need to spread the gospel. I need to preach the gospel to this prison guard. But he's doing that, and he's then writing out of prison, telling the people, hey, I want you to focus on what you need to focus on, focus on the gospel, and he sees every situation, even the suffering situations, as somewhere where he could actually evangelize and preach the truth of the gospel. And then it goes on to Philippians 1, 15 through 16. It said, some indeed preach Christ even out of envy and strife, and some also out of goodwill. The former insincerely preach Christ from selfish ambition, thinking they add affliction to my chains. So there's people in the Philippian church that are actually preaching so that they can draw attention to themselves rather than attention to Christ. But he even goes on, not even on this slide or not in this, this particular verse, but the later verses, he talks about even if it's done out of selfish ambition, God's going to preach the gospel and truth is going to come out of that and change is going to come out of that. So he's even celebrating at a person preaching out of selfish ambition. I want to have that heart to be able to actually see suffering and be able to see the joy and the opportunities that I have out of it. And then at the end of the chapter, so what Stephen preached on last week, for those of you who are here, if you, you weren't here, go back and read the first chapter as we're going into the second. At the end of the first chapter, Paul gives his prescription for the problem of our selfishness, calling the Philippians to live their lives as worthy of the good news of the gospel or worthy of the good news of Christ. So if we are saved, if we're set apart, let's act as if we're saved and we're set apart as opposed to what we usually act like, including myself. And then we come to the passage that we're gonna study today. I took it out of the New uh, English Version, a New English Translation, and it, and it goes like this. If you have your Bibles, or I think it's printed out in your bulletin, if it's not, you have your phone or whatever you read your Bible from. Here's Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy... Complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in spirit and having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. Hopefully as you're reading and you're hearing sermons and you don't have any idea, if you don't have any idea what came before it, this therefore kind of indicates you need to go back and kind of see what they were talking about. We've said, uh, like kind of, I pointed out that the, the fellowship uh, and the spirit and any affection or mercy, the comfort in Christ, that therefore is referring to the verse before it, talking about us, we need to live our lives as worthy of the good news of Christ. So, what I wanted to do, you got some of you have responded. Over the past couple of weeks, there was an email that went out to the congregation, those of you who have, we have our, your emails, that collected some answers to some questions. And some of those questions directly correspond with those uh, beginning verses here uh, in the second chapter. And what I wanted to do, it will take a little while, but it is powerful how people have answered these questions. And I'm just gonna read kind of excerpt of those people that have uh, have kind of shared the truth, and it really points to the fact that we have a faith that is real, and we have actually experienced these things. We need to be able to share them with one another, so I want to share uh, that with you today. 
So the first question is, how have you experienced encouragement because you uh, belong to Christ? So here's some examples. Yes, I experience encouragement through reading scripture, prayer, meditation, and sharing in the community of believers. People lovingly correcting me, the example of others in their walk with Christ, people praying for me. Belonging to Christ has made me a daughter. I don't have to strive to be accepted because Christ has already made me his own. He has constantly shielded me from the worst version of myself. Yes, knowing that God sees me means I'm never alone. When I'm down or need advice on a situation, I know that I can reach out to someone who understands me and remind me of how to look to Christ even when I do not know what to do. I know that he has been through it and he'll be through it with me because of his life, death, and resurrection. These have been, there have been too many times where he has met me in my hardest or darkest moment with these truths. His finished work for me, apart from anything I do or leave undone, is a bedrock of encouragement for me. I'm also encouraged to see gradually and over time a growing love for him, his word, his church, and a growing distaste for sin. I'm learning to more honestly own the ways he works through me to bless others and finding encouragement in that too. Union with Christ means I cannot be separated from him. Adoption by God through Christ means identity, sonship, belonging. I'm encouraged by these truths as they modify the lens with which I interpret everyday life. Through his word, often finding a verse or theme that seems to be repeatedly bring to my attention through community of other believers, especially other women. I'm an introvert who is afraid to talk to people and even more afraid that they will talk to me. <laughs> Frankly, there are times when I'm downright annoyed when people intrude into my personal space. In Christ, I hear the Father announce to the world, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. From that vantage point, I see what the Father sees, humble confidence, power and weakness, and extravagant grace, all mine to have and all mine to give because I am in his beloved Son. Christ is the hope of my salvation. He has reduced my despair about this world and hope, given me hope because of the promise of being part of a new kingdom. So you kind of, a lot of times we miss that. We don't see, we don't hear that from people. We don't hear it from one another. We don't share it with one another enough. One of the places that you can do that is life groups, but also you can do it here at lunches, times during the week, be encouraging one another. We want to hear those stories because a lot of times we forget we're just like, I, I believe in Jesus. Somebody asks you, okay, why do you believe in Jesus? How has he made an effect on your life? And you're just like, uh, I'm saved. Uh, like you, you can't remember. Rehearse these things so we can be celebrating those things together. The second question is, how have you experienced comfort from Christ's love? Hopefully you have. In dark days, his spirit and hope from the words of scripture are my only comfort. Please, uh, people are praying for me uh, people quietly being with me when I don't want to talk. Christ's love is ever-present during times of struggles, especially during the illness of family members. Christ's love has been a welcome comfort. Christ holds me when it is hard to be alone. Christ died for us, understands us, and ultimately knows what we're going through, especially through his promises in Scripture and the long-term trajectory. I see myself in growth in faith and repentance. I think of Psalm 73, that he is my portion. He lo his love is enough for me, and faith I know it sounds cheesy and theoretical, but it is the tr truest of these things that help me to experience it. Praying it, meditating it, believing it. Again, through his word, also through his healing of me physically and mentally, through counseling and through my marriage. God has loved me through a near fatal heart attack, with a wildfire that destroyed our home, with abuse and betrayal, with chronic debilitating illness. 
I call such trials love because they proved and improved my faith in Jesus Christ who suffered infinitely more than for my good. I would need this faith for the much darker and heavier trials to come. The Holy Spirit now comforts me with a peaceful presence that comforts others fearing and grieving death, despairing to the point of suicide or abortion and threatened with abuse and persecution for doing good. Real comfort comes from the joy of picturing Jesus personally wiping away every tear with his nail-scarred hands. He gives me assurance of salvation through believing and in feeling and lifting up sadness and a discouragement because of his love and forgiveness. Like this is powerful. Like for me to hear that kind of thing, what I don't hear it enough, I can through, I don't know if this is the same for you, at work, at home, you can just get in a rut. Just like, I'm gonna start complaining about my workplace, I'm gonna complain about my friends, my neighborhood, then my church, and you just get into that rut rather than actually celebrating what God is doing and has done in our lives. That third question is, how have you experienced fellowship in the spirit with others? Uh, through life group, meals with other church members, times of prayer with other church members, through campus outreach, I joined a family to help me be accountable and given a community during college. This community is so special because of its bond in the spirit. Uh, fellowship in the spirit has been experienced through vulnerability, through conversations that challenge me. Bearing one another's burdens, seeing people deal with my crap or vice versa with love was awesome. I've experienced God's using others to help me grow spiritually and I've felt warmth, affection, thankfulness and others, other believers that have very little in common. Through sharing, bearing each other's burdens, life group, one-on-one, -on -one, honesty and vulnerability, in Bible study, in service to one another, in group prayer times. The sudden, inexplicable death of an infant is devastating. There's nothing you can say. Nothing you can do that will bring the baby back to life. Overwhelmed with that bleak reality, I open my arms to hold a mother sobbing and shaking as the police officer cradles her baby in his arms. The officer and I are participating with the spirit who guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus with the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. This is what it means to be held. Serving together on a care team, attending retreats and home Bible studies, life groups, sharing life experiences and testimonies, especially in a group like Celebrate Recovery. This may sound like a commercial, like, hey, please get in life group or please get in community and things like that, but this is reality. If you're not in this type of community, whatever it is, get in it. If you don't have enough time, find two or three other believers that you're with, have dinner with them, have lunch with them, go out and have a beer with them. Do something so you can hear these stories and don't be afraid to share those stories with one another. And finally, we come to the fourth question that lines up with these verses here in chapter two. How have you seen Christ change you into a more tender-hearted and compassionate person? Hopefully we've seen change, that the Spirit's changing us. This person has seen growth in the fruits of the Spirit. They're less judgmental and more tolerant and forgiving. My former self-righteousness has been dealt with as a death blow. Christ's forgiveness for me has helped me see that I can extend that same grace to others, showing me different people's perspectives even though I fundamentally disagree with them. Through my own trials and errors, I have seen Christ change me into a more tender-hearted and compassionate person by reminding me that life is not about me. As we saw in John Christ basically saying it was about him. We act that way a lot. I'm reminded of this through my wife who is selfless and points me to Christ. I'm also reminded of this when I see the brokenness in the world and realize that success, money, power do not give us joy or happiness. 
yes, I'm much more patient, even though I am not really patient as it is, slowing down to see that and being patient is the hard part. I think I am more attuned to what others need than I was in the past. I cry a lot more for other people than I'm used to, but I think it has been accompanied with more wisdom and more effort to pair grace with truth. Through identifying with Jesus and that seeing myself for who I really am, being freed to admit and embrace my weaknesses, the old cross chart from gospel-centered life, if you guys are familiar with that, reminds me that as I grow into Jesus and know and experience him more, I must simultaneously see how much more sinful I am. As I see that and see others in a similar light, needing grace as much as I do, and then I can take more compassion on people. I become more open to listening and learning from others, especially non-believers who are different from me in background, lifestyle, worldview. I'm learning how to sort out the absolutes of God's word from the made-up absolutes of my own biases. I'm an accountant. Everyone knows accountants do not have hearts, especially not tender hearts. I have always been known for my scary eyes that could freeze you in your tracks. Christ changed all that when he called me to serve those most in need of mercy. He had to be joking. Imagine my surprise when my daughter recently told me, the mom with the scary eyes, that I was the most empathetic person she knew. I am living proof that only the mind and heart of Christ in me can renew the city through me and bring glory and joy to God. Yes, without question, I was angry, hypercritical person due in the way I was raised, and I experienced sanctification erasing those negative traits. And Christ is reducing anger about things we cannot control, to be, helping me to be more tolerant of people suffering physical, mental, and emotional problems. Burned into my soul and brain is to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of my mind. Like, for me, looking back, I've been in the church my whole life. And I fell away for a long time. I'm, I don't want to have anything to do with church. And then coming back and seeing the change that God's actually doing in my life, you like look back six months, you're like, how in the world did God do that? Like I was an awful person, like treating people awfully, awful stuff coming out of my mouth, the most selfish person of all time. And God is the only one that can do that, is to change hearts and to fix what he had created in his image, and then I broke. So when I hear these kind of things, I'm like, yes, I have hope that God's gonna change me into the person that he wants me to be. I, I wanna hear these things more. I don't wanna just go to a group and, hey, what do you guys need to pray for? And we pray for things, and okay, cool, we did our Christian thing. I wanna hear real, true testimonies of changed lives so that I can fall more in love with my Savior. So, we come to kind of the verse one uh, of chapter two. It says, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in spirit, any affection or mercy. So that's where these questions are coming from that I kind of, I've asked uh, people to answer. But he's referring to the thing before. He's referring to the end of chapter one where Stephen was preaching. He's referring to those things complete my joy and be of the same mind, having the same love, being united in spirit and having one purpose. But he's referring back to being uh, focused on what our calling within the gospel of Christ. And he's asking the Philippians and he's asking us to actually act like we believe the gospel. So if we like, oh, do you believe the gospel? Oh yeah, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Then how about actually act like it? The reason you even have a John Christ as a comedian is because all the stupid things we do as Christians. 
because he can make fun of it as a Christian, seeing it in his own heart and seeing it in, our own, seeing it in other people's hearts. Like, we need to watch out for that because that's our testimony, that's our witness to people that are not Christian. So, in that second verse, yeah, we kind of get asked the question, like, okay, what is acting like we believe in the gospel? What does that, what does that look like? According to Paul, it looks like being of the same mind. Okay, how in the world does that work? So I'm gonna bring up some specific things that probably everybody in here agree with, right? Uh, it is, so society is the slide we're going to. We'll have a kind of a list of social issues and things like that. I would assume everybody, everybody believes the exact same thing on these things, right? So if I just ask you, okay, let's uh, close your eyes and put your hands up when you believe this or that about immigration or this, it's like, I'm not gonna do that. Or even, with, especially with your eyes open because we'd immediately split the church. Because guess what? You have differences of opinion about this stuff. Immigration, capital punishment, charter schools, legalization of marijuana, health insurance, labor unions, sex education in the public schools, immunizations, should you get them, should you not, fracking, oil drilling, off the coast, guns, political party. I know you guys have been in churches and stuff like that. Sometimes they make you feel like you need to be this part of this party, you need to believe in certain sets of things within this list. Within the body of Christ, within this body, there's lots of differences of opinion on these particular subjects. And you probably have experienced those differences of opinion on Facebook, especially in the last few weeks where you're seeing battles happen back and forth on Facebook. And you're going, I really believe strongly. What should I say? Should you say something? And too many people actually say things they shouldn't say. <laughs> Most of them are Christians saying that. Go to the church uh, uh, topics. And the church topics in here guaranteed differences of opinion on the age of the earth. Difference of opinion on hymns and contemporary worship. Like, I really like hymns. I don't like this contemporary worship. I just, I stay outside and then I come in after the worship or something like that. Some of us have done that. Not necessarily here. I'm not going to call you out on it. But at other churches before. Topical versus expository preaching. Oh, expository. You've got to have expository. You've got to have verse by verse or topical is not even worth anything. Infant baptism versus believer's baptism. Guess what? We're a Presbyterian church. We do infant baptism. There's differences of opinion in leadership, in this group, and we all come from different church backgrounds. It's all right to have those differences of opinion. T-shirts and jeans when you go to church, or a suit. I don't think anybody's wearing a suit in here, but usually we can tell uh, visitors, not from San Diego, when they come in from the South or come in from somewhere else, they come in a suit because they're not used to that type of thing. And you have different churches that have different belief systems and believes that that's the unifying thing. Like we all dress up our Sunday best. We wanna make sure people feel comfortable. And that's not the reason I'm wearing this because this is just what I wear. So luckily it's not as worse than this. We can see my toes and flip flops and things like that. And predestination, there's a difference of opinion on that. And we're in a Presbyterian church. And a lot of times people miss the fact that we're actually in a Presbyterian church. And that's a good thing. Because pressure training should not be up front. Jesus is up front. And we want to make sure that we unify in the right things and not on the wrong things. So when we have all those subjects, how in the world can we be of the same mind? Like, how can we do it? Paul explains how we can be of the same mind. In verse 2, he says, but we can do that by having the same love, being united in spirit, and having one purpose. It's like, okay, 
I can get my hands around that a little bit more because I don't want to think the exact same thing as everybody else. So we come to this verse that's uh, super familiar to all of you. John 13, 35, it says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What, did, what, is, what do non-Christians usually see? They see us fighting within denominations, with other churches, like, oh, we do this better than these other churches. We see uh, other people as competition, and we're just this infighting over our lifetimes. And they see that, and it's like, why do I want to have anything to do with Jesus? Because we can't get along. We can't figure out how to unify uh, on the gospel. The second thing he says is, we need to be united in the spirit. And Stephen talked about this, and then the worship, we talked a little bit about this. The gospel is what we're uniting on. Jesus Christ crucified for our sins, buried, resurrected on the third day. That's the gospel. Not all these other things on the list. There's important things that we have distinction between denominations, between this church and another church, but it's not the gospel. There's lots of other churches that are preaching the gospel. They're just different than our specific church or our particular background. So Galatians 3.26 says this, 26 through 28. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus and all who have been united with Christ in baptism is put, have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The most powerful moments of unity for me is me going to a church. I went to a, a gathering called Cultivate Gathering uh, probably six months ago at the United Methodist Church in Normal Heights. And I go in and I see there's people of all different types of denominations, some things I disagree with, some things I agree with, and we're all worshiping together and focused on the same thing and unified in Christ on the thing we should by, by loving God and loving our neighbors. That's the thing we're called to. So in Mark 12, it says, Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with all your mind, and with your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So we need to love God, we need to love our neighbors. This last week, we were, uh, Gracie and I were leading a Vision Pathways group and we're talking about evangelism, like scary, oh, evangelism, I don't wanna go share my faith, it's just too scary. We're thinking through like, okay, who can we actually love? Who are, who are our neighbors that we can love? And we're thinking through our week, we go, I did not even around non-Christians. I work at a Christian school, she works at a Christian school, I have multiple groups during the week, I have these things like, how, what in the world? Like, I'm not even around people that need to hear the truth of the gospel and how I can live it out in front of them. So we were convicted to like say, we need to figure out how to like, lots of Christian activities, your small groups, your community groups, that's, they're awesome. Figure out a way you can get in front of your non-Christian friends because they need to be loved. Not so that they'll come to your church, but so that they will feel God's love for them. So they'll just feel loved and through that relationship, uh, Christ will change them. They're the ones that change. Christ is the one that changes. We're not the one that change. And then we come to verse, the beginning of verse three. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, which a lot of times we can be motivated out of that. 
I kind of wanted to point out the Greek word for selfish ambition here is the name is Eretheia, which was originally used to describe partisan, unprincipled politicians. And the place that it was found is in Aristotle. Like that, besides the Bible, you have Aristotle's writings, and that's who they're describing. We all know some politicians that are to act this way, like almost all of them in every party. And we would think of that, we're not going to guess on, on people's hearts and things like that, but that's how we feel about politicians, especially when you see, so how many people have seen House of Cards? It's even less than the first service. You guys know what House of Cards is. Yeah. <laughs> You've seen it advertised, excellent. Okay, this person played by Kevin Spacey, his name is Frank Underwood. It's very interesting that art is imitating, uh, life is imitating art in this specific person. But this particular person would cheat, steal, lie, and kill, literally, to, uh, take advantage of, abuse a person, and then shove them in front of a subway to, to make sure that his tracks are covered. This is what Paul is saying. Don't have this type of selfish ambition that anybody who gets in your way, you're just going to run over. Hopefully, you're not killing people, but you're at least in your mind, you are. You're just like, I wish this person never lived. I wish that you, you're not seeing them as created in God's image. And then vanity, we can also be motivated by vanity. Jesus talked about scribes and Pharisees as whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but inwardly are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So we know we do that for our Instagram stories, for Facebook, we put our, base, our best foot forward, our best face on, I wanna make sure that everybody sees that. If we're always motivated by people seeing only the perfect life, then you miss all these testimonies. We need to be real with one another and understand that we need to share and we need to be vulnerable. We need to be safe, but we need to be vulnerable to explain to other people that it's not all easy. You don't become a Christian and everything just clicks and everything is nice and your whole world becomes 100% perfect as we have all experienced, as we see in these testimonies. So the second part of, the, of verse three also says this, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. And a lot of times we think, okay, I'm humble, if you're thinking in your mind of a humble person, right? Or how humble are you? If you're gonna rate yourself in humility, how humble are you? Okay, you just messed it up by doing that. But if you're, if you're thinking of yourself being humble, you're usually comparing yourself, not necessarily to the person sitting next to you, right? I'm more humble than that person. You can think of a person that's just not humble. They're the most vain person you've ever seen in your life. But you're comparing it to another person. But the, th the person that we should be comparing it to is the ultimate, the epitome of humility in Christ. Like, he is the God of the universe, deciding that he wants to become a human to save us. It's like, we can't do that because we're not the God of the universe, but that's the standard of what humility is. We need to be humble as Christ was humble and serve other people and see other people as, as God's children, as created in his image, that are loved just as we are loved. And then we come to verse four. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. And kind of what I wanted to do is kind of hopefully bring this home in your own life, kind of as you see the different layers of difficulty of actually 
putting people's needs above yours. There's a list I wanna bring up on this next slide. So us looking to other people's uh, concerns over our own is what Paul is calling us to and what God is calling to through his word. So people in your church family, okay, that's, that, that could be easy, right? Of actually putting their needs before you and serving them and serving each other. People that are Christian but don't go to your church, so another, they go to other churches. Okay, I can do that. I disagree with them here, but I can love them because I know that they're Christians. People in your biological family, your immediate family, your extended family, Christians and non, like how are you gonna serve them? How are you gonna put their needs above your needs? People you work with that irritate you. People that are the, the good people, people that are the not the nice people, that your boss, think about those people. People in your neighborhood, like for myself, I haven't seen my neighbors in a long time because I get too busy. I wanna figure out how to love my neighbors and put their needs above mine. Then it gets harder. People you actually do not like, like you are super irritated with them. If they're sitting next to you, don't look over at them because it could be in the church. But there's people that we do not like and they for some reason land on Facebook and they are on social media and you're just like, oh, they make me angry and you just wanna say something back and put a comment down or just, and, and, and lash out at them or people you vehemently disagree with, whether that's in that whole list of things we listed earlier, on politics, on guns, on immunizations and stuff like that. They're created in God's image, you're created in God's image, figure out a way to love them in that disagreement. Because a lot of times we'll divide over that disagreement. There's power on this next slide, James 3, eight to nine, and then you guys know the power of what we say whether it's at our mouth or on Facebook or on letters or on emails and things like that. Hopefully you're editing emails and taking the emotion out of it before you send that out or the texts. James 3, eight through nine say, but no human being can subdue the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father and with it we curse people made in God's image. I know at least if I'm not typing it on Facebook, I'm saying it inside my head before I write it down. I'm saying those things that people, this person is so stupid, why do they have that viewpoint? Like, like I don't even understand. I'm not even thinking of them and their heart of where they came from at all. Even if I completely disagree and I think I'm right. I know that I have matured because in my 20s, in my early 20s, I would wanna win an argument and debate on everything, on that whole list in the beginning. I wanna win. This is not about loving people. I'm just gonna do all these proof texts and I'm gonna show you how smart I am. That's out of selfish ambition, ambition and vanity because I wanna show people how smart I am. I would rather show how much they're loved and then speak truth into their lives from relationship instead. So we come finally. What I wanna do, usually uh, pastors, preachers don't use the message for preaching because it's a paraphrase. But this particular section that we're in at the, at, at the beginning of chapter two is excellent. So it's Philippians two, one through four from the message. And I just wanted to read it to you because I think it takes all these verses and uh, things that we're, and subject we're discussing and it like brings it home. Really easy to understand. If you've gotten anything at all about following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in community of the spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. 
agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends, don't push your way to the front, don't sweet-talk your way to the top, put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Like, that was powerful. As I'm studying this, as I'm looking at this, it's just very clear that I need to take my focus and my eyes off of my own suffering and try to figure out how I'm gonna serve and love other people because through that, Christ is changing me into the person that I wanna be. And I pray that he's doing that same thing for you and I know he is and I wanna encourage you to actually be sharing that with one another so we can actually hear it, we can believe it. We have a class that's like this, how do we believe in a faith that we, we can't prove? You being here, these testimonies, the things that are in your heart, the things you've experienced, that's the proof that God is doing something in your life and is changing you into the person that Christ wants you to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for changing me into a person that I don't recognize. But I still have those things. I still have those ambitions and those drives that are not from you. Just ask that you get rid of those things from me daily. Help me, help me to remember that everyone is created in your image, that you love everyone equally, but you've extended this truth to us and we're blessed to hear and understand and have faith. We thank you for that. We just ask that you give us a way to give that faith out to other people through the way we love them. Just ask that you forgive us uh, for those times we don't. Help us in this next week as we're trying to respond to people, that we respond to people in love instead of responding to people in hate or in frustration. Uh, help us to be patient. Change our lives through your spirit. Uh, give us a new heart as we go out and we try to love people uh, this week. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, David. It's a good word. Uh, we're going to receive an offering next. And so if you're going to be giving, please take the next minute to prepare your gifts to give. If you want to give online, you can do that.